humbly bowed before your throne of grace and mercy, Father. We are here gathered together as your family. This is, this is your family. This is the body of Christ. And, you know, when one part of the body hurts, the entire body feels that. If, if you smash a thumb, your feet jump, your mouth screams, your brain feels the pain and the sensation. So, Father, whenever any of us hurt and we go through things and we're sick, the whole body gets involved with that to try to tackle that just as the immune system does. And so, Father, right now I want to pray for Patty and her mother, Dorothy. I pray that you will be with them. I pray that you will heal her, uh, Dorothy, of, of that fall and the injuries. They have been waiting for the surgery to open up to do that. We pray that you will bless her through that, Father, and that you will take care of that and watch over her. And may, may your hand be with everything that happens. And Patty herself has, has some, some problems with uh, some, some knees and joints and back issues and things in the back. They're wanting to do some surgeries, and, and I hate surgeries, and I hate surgeries especially on backs. And so, Father, we're going to, pray that you take care of this but we're going to pray for some healing so that that may not have to happen and father I also pray for everyone else who who is sick and who's not here I know I've received several things but the ones that was told me that asked for prayer specifically this day was for Sherry and for Miss Lee who lost her mom and she's not feeling well today and for Kelly so those have asked for prayers also, Father, so may the body of Christ be in prayer for them this week and today as well, Father, and may your hand of healing and peace and comfort be upon all of those that we've mentioned today and be guided by you. And Father, now we're going to get ready. We've, we've praised you in some singing and some worship, and we're so thankful for you and your son, Jesus. And now we're going to open up that word of God. And Father, you knew a long time ago that we was going to study this. And I pray, Father, that you're glorified through our study, that your word just glorify and exalts you as God, and that it takes us, your children, and gives us such great faith in you as our Father and our Creator that we can face anything that this life throws our way. So, Father, bless this study now. May it benefit us and may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I can't never tell you all what I'm going to study because it seems like every time I sit down to do it, it gets changed up on me. Uh, had, had several questions. I don't know if this has been on your mind or not, but I think it's been on the mind of most folks because I get this question a lot nowadays it can be a question or a statement of the way you feel man look at all that church of the future going through there Woo! praise God I'm gonna stick a head on a brick on your head <laughs> boy he just keeps growing and growing Lane's gonna be taller than everybody pretty soon the question or the statement that I have been getting almost daily is, we've got to be in the end times. Look at what's happening in the world. Look at what's going on. This, this, we've got to be approaching the end times. 
it seems to be on everybody's hearts and mind. I had requests last week of, can you say something about that? And, and well, we did a little bit last summer on some things, and we talked about, like, when Jesus said, here are some signs of the birth pains that you're going to look at. And we talked about some, some earthquakes and some volcanoes and some different issues like that. I thought, well, what I want to do is give you a road map to the future. I want to, God gave us the road map. You know, he's already laid it out. He knows the end from the beginning. All we got to do is trust him. So the last days, the word of God is the inspired record of the history of the world. You know, not only did God tell us how it came into being because nobody was there. So we've got Genesis that tells us how it all came about. And then it also tells us in other passages like in the book of Job and Psalms. But not only did he tell us how it came about, but he also tells us how it's going to end. And the things to look for. And then in the book of Revelation, he lays out a road map. And I thought that I was going to get there today. And then I sat down to write. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, no. We're going to take this a different direction. So I want to tell you that this is more of almost a Bible study today than one of those lessons to just pump you up and, and give you some, some joy and some, some, uh, some happiness and some strength like we had with the Red Sea and the different things. This one, I hope, presents God for who He is and lets you know that He is God and that you can trust Him so that as we be get ready to study this, that you don't believe or listen to anyone else except for what the Word of God says. And we got to make sure that we're not deceived and we rightly divide that word of truth that he has given us because there are some people who, who go in some different directions. We've got to stick with what's written in this word. And we got to not allow our emotions and our thoughts and things to, to get us carried away because I'm going to promise you something right now. Amen. As we get ready to go. And like I said last week, saying amen is like sick them to a bulldog. It, you're going to you get me going if you if you start saying amen on this. Don't allow your emotions to overwhelm you and all these thoughts because I promise you it's going to be okay if you're in Christ. It is going to be okay if you are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you make that known today and let's get you in Christ, okay? Whenever we sing that song, you come up here and and we will help you get into Christ. Will you believe in God? baptized into his body you are in Christ and then we work together to learn the things that he, he wants us to do in this life but we can tell when there is a change in the folks who want to be in Christ then that wants to have that assurance because we no longer live for self but we live for him don't we it's no longer the eat drink and be merry and I'll tell you why that's important because if you look Jesus himself said this in Matthew 24. That's where he started giving in his gospels like this, uh, some of the end time things and what to look forward to. But he says this, Of that day and hour, no one knows, no man knows, not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but only the Father. And as it was in the days of Noah, so also shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For as it was in the days before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage, they were having a good time, all the way up until the day that Noah entered into the ark. 
And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So the first thing that we have to do is be watchful. He's always telling us to be watchful. He's always telling us to follow him. So we have to be watchful and prepared and awake and not asleep at the wheel in all of this. Then the next thing he says, they're not only out there eating and drinking and giving and marriage and just having their own way, but then it says that they had a warning, but they refused to listen to it. Did you know that Noah was a preacher of righteousness? He was. That ark was a preparing for 120 years. In Genesis 6, whenever, whenever God told Noah what he was about ready to do, he said, my spirit will not always strive with man, but they are also flesh. So their days are going to be 120 years. So from that point forward, there's 120 years that the ark was a preparing that Noah preached the word of God as he prepared that ark and daily he would tell them and that was a symbol it was coming and he would say there's coming a time that the Lord is going to cleanse the earth of wickedness you need to get on his page you need to be with him and you need to change and follow and they did not hear the message it says it gives us that thought in 2nd Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 because there it says that God did not spare the ancient world of the judgment that had been promised to come and to cleanse them, but he only saved Noah and his family. He was one of the eight who boarded onto the ark, and they were saved because they trusted in God. They saw what he told them, and they believed it, and they got on that ark, and the finger of God sealed that ark, it says in Genesis 6, that God sealed the ark himself. I, whether it was his finger, I don't know. I put the finger part in. But it says the Lord God sealed it, okay? When they got on the boat, the Lord sealed the door shut and the storm came. And then it was too late. And what our Lord just told us was that as it was in Noah's day, people were doing what they wanted to do until the time that they boarded the ark and the storm came, they still did not recognize that something was about to happen. And don't let that happen to you. And so it's our job to watch, but it's my job to tell you and to help you and to prepare us for what's going to go on. They were, the boat in Genesis, it'll tell us that it floated up, that it was taken up. And they were taken up in safety inside the ark away from the problem that came around. That's another little hint to what we're going to find in the book of Revelation when that trouble's getting ready to happen. That those are in Christ as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. And that's why I'm telling you, you want to be in Christ because I don't think we're going to be here for all of that. Okay? So you want to get in Christ now so that you don't have to go through the trouble like they did too in that flood. So then, don't get blinded by it and be carrying on with life while everybody else is getting on the boat and the door gets shut. Because Jesus says this, he goes on to say in that Matthew 24 that we was just at, he goes on to say that there will be two men who are working in the field. One will be taken away and one will be left. There will be two women who are grinding at the mill and one will be taken away and one will be left behind. 
Now it's funny. I had to look that word taken away up. It represents part of this thing that people like to call the rapture. But what it does, it is, it's a word to be taken up. It means to be pulled up aggressively. But paralambano is a, is a dual word. Para means close beside, from somebody close beside. It's almost like a, a good relationship. You know, you know who it is, and it's a good relationship. And then the lambano part is to be taken away. So what the word means is that those who are taken away are those that have a close relationship with the one taking them away. And that's why he's taking them away. So you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what, that's what being a Christian and Christianity is. It's not a set of rules. It's not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's through that word that we learn how to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, those that have that and are, what was it that Jesus always said to those that he felt had a heart for him? What did he say? Come and follow me. Follow me. When you follow Jesus, you are close beside him. And so that way, when the time is right, that neither he nor the angels or no man knows, only the Father that knows of when that time is, if you are close beside and walking and following him, he is going to take you there to be with him and remove you from the trouble that's going to be coming by. So we want to be walking beside him daily. Then Jesus when he began the discourse, the last thing before we get ready to move into Isaiah. So if you want to start shuffling to Isaiah 41, you can in your Bibles if you brought them. But the other thing that we need to know of before we get ready to look into this subject is the number one problem besides being blinded and just doing the own thing is for believers to be deceived. We don't want to be deceived. Jesus started this out. When they asked him, when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age? His first words was this. He answered and said to them, take heed that no man deceive you. The first thing he said, you know, in this chapter, he's going to say four times the word deceive. Because he does not want us to be deceived. There is the things of the world trying to draw us away and deceive us. And there are even folks who in good meaning that haven't rightly divided things or just has opinions that teach or promote things that can deceive us. Jesus said in verse 4, don't be deceived. In verse 5, many can be deceived. If you go down to verse 11, many false prophets, people who say that they speak forth God's word, will deceive many and rise up to, to lead astray. In verse 24, false Christs and false prophets will show you great things and signs and wonders that even the elect, those who are truly believing and following, might be deceived. So his number one concern for the body of Christ is don't be deceived. Whether the world or those who don't really rightly know and they're promoting their own opinion. Don't be deceived. 
learn and rightly divide only from the word, but don't let nothing but the word tell you because it's the only thing that is our guide. It's the only road map. It is the atlas that he has given us to follow, to get to where we need to be. It's the ability of the all-knowing God to tell us, and that takes me to where we're getting ready to go. In Isaiah, in five, six chapters there, from chapter 41 to 48, he says the same thing in almost every chapter. And that is, did you realize, and I never thought of this until I got into this study, did you realize that the purpose of prophecy, and prophecy can be in two ways. Whenever it talks about a prophet or prophecy, there's two ways about it. Prophecy can be to foretell the future, which God did a lot. But prophecy is also just speaking forth. The word means to speak forth. Most of the time today, we only speak forth what is written. God, in Hebrews chapter 1, when that starts off, and he's writing to those people that all of the Old Testament was written for. And he's saying, you know, God, in sundry times and diverse manners in times past, spoken to the fathers and the prophets directly in many ways, like visions, dreams, even face to face. But in these last days has spoken to us by his son. And so everything that we need to know is no longer foretold there's no new dissemination of the word of God there's not going to be another book of the Bible written it's complete so today if you are a prophet you are only telling what the word of God says you are speaking forth the word of God from the written word so don't let anyone deceive you when they say that they have a new knowledge of something and that I know what's going to happen because God has told me no If you show me here, I'll study and try to follow along. But if you're telling me that God spoke to you and said, this is what's going to happen and how it's all going down, and it's different from what is in this book, don't believe it. Because he doesn't do that. The word has been handed down and it's done. And so, you know what separates our God from any other religion or any of the other so-called gods? I found out in this study that the one thing that separates him from everyone else is the prophecies that he's put in the book. No other God, you can look at Hindu, you can look at Buddha, you can look at any of the modern day ones from the people that says God gave them plates or whatever. No, they only write about things that they know of. None of them have prophesied the future. And none of them have foretold things that came to happen. God says, and we're going to see that here in a minute. That's why I'm preparing you. God says, I am the only one that does that because it separates me as God. And I don't share my glory with anyone else. Amen? So that is what separates me. So the things that we study separate us. Just like if you think back. We started with Jesus in Genesis 3.15 when there was that promise that he made there that serpent, you've deceived them, they've fallen, but through the seed of the woman shall come the one who will crush your head. That was a prophecy. And all the way through the book, he would say things like, it's going to be born in Bethlehem. 
It's going to be born of a virgin. It's going to be born at the proper time. Every prophecy of the word of God came true. And that's what separates God from everything else. He's got the same thing on what's going to happen at the end time. But he is the only roadmap. So if you're with me now, and you're following along, or if you want to follow along up here in chapter 41, we're going to get ready to go on this and show what glorifies God and why he is the only one who is God. And it says this in chapter 41, beginning in verse 21. The God of heaven says, You present your case, I'm presenting mine, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Bring forth, and you try to tell me what's going to happen, will you? Do you know the former things, what they were, like the creation? Were you there? Or that we might be able to consider them? Or what about the latter end times and the end of them? Can you declare those things to us? Show us then, if you can, the things that are here to come hereafter. That we may know that you are God's, and yes, that you do good or evil. That we might be dismayed, we might be amazed that you're God and that you can do that. But guess what? He says, indeed though, you are nothing, and your works are nothing. And he who chooses you instead of me chooses abomination. So you begin to see that God lays out the challenge to every other form of religion or communication or power that he's declaring as in a court of law when he says I state my case he is declaring as the uh, attorney so to speak and judge to say who are you to present a case against me here is my case I foretold what happened in the beginning so that you know what it is and I have told the end you tell me something if you are God, let me be amazed at what you can do and what you can tell me. But you can't. And anyone who trusts in you instead of me trusts in abominations. No one else can do that. Come and show me if you would. You can't. And you are nothing. Wow. There's God presenting his case not only to human beings but to the angelic realm who tried to overthrow him at one time, and to his faithful angelic followers. Everyone in the universe, he is stating his case that he is God and how you can prove it. So number one, prophecy only comes from God and it's designed to prove that he is God. The second thing that prophecy does is that it glorifies God because it shows true Shows who he is and that he is glorified through that. Uh, slide your Bible over one page to Isaiah 42. We'll go to the next chapter. Down about verse 8. This is what God says about that. About glorifying himself. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another nor my praise to any of the carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things that I declare to you, before they spring forth, I have told you of them. So the thing that glorifies God and His name and who He is, is the ability to tell you what happened in places you don't know, and that the new things that He tells you that will spring forth, they come forth. And that brings glory to God and honor to God and verifies 
who he is. And no other thing can do that. No angelic being, no human being, and especially no carved image. He said, you know, as I, if you, I put those up for the Berean chapters. Man, you just give me goosebumps when you say amen. I put those Berean chapters so that you would read the rest of these in between. Because he goes on to say, how can you take a, a log and cut it in half and make one part of it your God. And the other half you're going to split it up and cook your dinner with it. Does that make sense? Does that God talk to you? You're cooking dinner with him, cutting him in half, but then you're taking the other half and making him look like something and worshiping me. How do you do that? Well, we let things come into our life that pull us away from God too. And you know we do. But he shows us how stupid it is in that form so that how really stupid it is in the other things in life too that drag us away. I mean, we think they're important, but he's like, you, yeah, you're laughing at that? Look at what you're doing. And then you got to go, oh. So anyway, here we go. He says, this is how I get my glory. And those carved images, they can't do any of this stuff. You need to worship me. Let's look now, go two pages over to Isaiah 44. Let's turn now to Isaiah chapter 44. And this is going to be, he says, the acid test, so to speak. You all know what an acid test really is. You've heard the phrase, right? Let's put it to the acid test or something like that. Well, here's what an acid test is. When, when gold starts skyrocketing, you remember when it went up to $1,800, $1,900 an ounce, and they said it's going to go past 2000 People started digging into the jewelry boxes and the trinkets and, and uh, how much is this worth? What they would do if you take it to the pawn shop or some of these other places that the gold people, what they, what they would tell you is, is that, now, whose was this? It was a family member's. You know I'm going to drop acid on it, right? Because acid will taint and tarnish all of the platings and the coatings and the things that make it look like that. But if it's real gold, it won't do anything to it. So do you really think that it's pure gold and do you want to take the chance of ruining your family member's heirloom? That's the acid test. It proves whether something that looks like the thing is real or not. And that's what an acid test is. And so now God's going to say in chapter 44 beginning in verse 6, He says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer. Who's that? Who said that Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament? He said, you guys search the scriptures because you think, he told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think in them you will find eternal life, but every page speaks about me. Here you go. The Lord of heaven says, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, that's Jesus Christ. You know what the word hosts means? You look it up and it's the army. He's the Lord of the army. He came as the Lamb of God. He's going to come back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's going to be leading the army. He is the Lord of hosts, the army of heaven. And he says, I am the first and I am the last. And besides me, there's what? No God. There's no God besides me. And who can proclaim the things that I do? Let him declare it and set it order before me. If you are really who you think you are, declare them in order. 
let's see if they're going to happen. And it, but since I appointed the ancient peoples and the things that are coming and shall come, I did everything. I created humans. I appointed what happened. I appointed what's coming. You try to show me those things if you can. But do not fear. And that's the message I've got for you guys today. That's what I started off with. If you're in Christ, do not fear. You have no fear. And he's telling you here, don't fear. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you that from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God besides me? No. There is no other God. There is no other rock. On the solid rock we stand, everything else is shifting sand. Build your house on the rock, on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I, there is no other rock. I know not one other. God declares with great authority, this is my acid test. I've declared, I created, I tell forth. I am God. Listen to my words. I am your redeemer. I am your rock. So you can have no fear. And then he says something really cool there in verse 6. I am the first and the last. You remember what it says in Revelation chapter 1 when you get ready for that road map. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the what? The beginning and the end and the first and the last. Here's the direct reference to the road map. I foretell the future because I am the first and the last and your Redeemer. The thing that it says whenever you get to Revelation 1, I am your Redeemer. I am the one that has redeemed you by my blood. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. So here's your connection that the things in the road map going forward, like he says, I proclaim the things that's coming. It's in that and it's written for us and it is our roadmap. it is authenticated through the acid test of time the word of God has withstood that acid test for over 5,000 years and there's not ever been one thing proven to be false and everything that the scoffers always laugh at or come up with they will say things like there was never no city like that there was never no king named that and then you know what we got all these archaeological digs going on and I see all the time they just found such and such that verifies God's word that people tried to go against. There's not one thing that's ever been proven false. Now, got to shift my page. Do not fear, then he says. Have no fear coming, what's coming forward. Now, if you're still in chapter 44 and you go down a little bit, this isn't on the slide, but if you go down, to verse 24, it lets us know who's talking. Thus says the Lord, you Redeemer. He who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who makes all things. Who stretches out the heavens and who spreads the earth all by myself. Who frustrates the signs and the babblers and the diviners turn mad. Who turns wise men backwards and makes their knowledge foolishly. Why would you follow that? I said it wasn't in there. I did throw that in there last night. I'm sorry. But there it is. He says, I am the Lord and I am your dreamer. Now I'm getting, you get ready to read this stuff. Now look, who confirms the word of his servant. This is special now. I want you to look at these last three verses. 
I confirm the words of the servants that performs the counsel of my messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you will be inhabited, to the cities of Judah, you will be built, and I will raise up her waste places, who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up the river, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he shall perform all my pleasures, and he will say to Jerusalem, you will be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. At first reading, that don't sound like much, does it? I'm going to unpack this and share it with you. Because this is the number one acid test of proof of who God is. If you want to look at some of the Old Testament things. When he says, I say to the waste places of Jerusalem and the temple that you're going to be rebuilt and re-inhabited and to the river you're going to be dry and that Cyrus is my shepherd. You know when Isaiah wrote this? 780, or 700 B.C. 700 B.C. When he wrote this, Jerusalem was still thriving. It was not laid waste. Nebuchadnezzar and all of them have not come and started taking over. Babylon conquered and broke everything down in 539 B.C. 160 years before it happened, God said, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be desolate. The river is going to dry up. You know why that's important? You read in the book of Daniel, there was a thing going on. Belshazzar had taken over as king from his father. And he called for all of the emblems of God to be brought out of the storehouse from when they conquered Jerusalem and ruined the temple and tore it down and they took all of the gold articles the bowls and the cups and everything that they worshiped in the service of God with and Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't touch them he had them put into a security place had it locked Nebuchadnezzar's up there having a party they've told him that there's this band out there the Persians that's coming to attack he said we've got a fortified city they can't get to us. We've got food. We've got a river of water that runs through the city. The walls was built around the river and it run through. We've got water. We've got food. Let's, what was it we said not to be caught doing? Eating, drinking, and making merry, and giving in marriage. He calls for a party. And as he began to be imbibed, he said, Bring out the cups of God. That God of the Hebrews who we conquered. And we've got all of their things from the temple. And they started profaning the God of heaven. As he would drink from those cups. And they praised their gods of wood and stone. That was when the river dried up. Because Cyrus said. They've been studying on how to conquer this city. And he said you know what. If we divert the river, we can crawl in underneath where it flows underneath. And so they diverted the river. And that night, as he was drinking and praising his gods of wood and stone and profaning the God of heaven, a hand comes out of nowhere and begins writing on the wall. And it says, Mine, Mine, Tikel, Upharsin. 
He calls, who can interpret what this is? And his bones began to shake and his knees knocked. And he was about ready to fall over. And he said, can someone tell me what it says? And none of his wise men, none of his prophets, none of his people could tell him. His, his mama come in, or his grandma come in and said, no, this is mama. She came in and said, during your father's reign, there was one man named Daniel who could interpret his dreams. Won't you call him to come in? Daniel come in and he looked at that and he said, you sure you want me to tell you? He said, yeah, go ahead and tell me what it means. He says, that means you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Tonight, the kingdom will be taken from your hand. And he gave the golden necklace and all of the things to Daniel and put him around his neck. And that night, the river was diverted. All of the Persians came in underneath and they broke in right after that. And Belteshazzar, who was caught unaware, just like those who don't pay attention when the ark and when Christ comes again. And that night his life was taken from him. And it was handed over. The kingdom handed over to someone else. And that's why Isaiah is writing of that. 160 years before it happens. And he even tells how it's going to happen. That they divert the river. And he says. Once that happens. Then my anointed. Cyrus. Is going to come. And he's going to tell you to rebuild the city. He is going to realize that he is my anointed. And that all of this was by plan. And that it is my plan to bring you back home to worship with me again. And it says that after that Darius was king. And Daniel went to the lion's den. And there were some things that happened. But when Darius passed on the kingdom goes to Cyrus. And Josephus and some of the writers of his history, it's not recorded in the word of God, but the writers of history said that it was Daniel who rolled out the scroll of God of Isaiah that we are reading right here. And when Cyrus came into Babylon to take it over as king, Daniel unrolled the scroll to this chapter and he read that Cyrus is my anointed I have held your hand. I have broken down the walls and the gates and everything for you. I am the one who brought you to this place. You are my anointed. I named you before you were ever born. Your mama named you Cyrus because 160 years ago the God of heaven says your name will be Cyrus and I will lead you here and you're going to release my people from the Babylonian captivity and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild a temple. After he was presented with that, you know what he did? Ezra chapter 1 if you're there. If you want to turn there, if not, we've got it up here. But in Ezra chapter 1, the first four verses, as Ezra, who is now living in this time where they're going to go and rebuild all of it, says this, In the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, saying that the Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus, that he would go and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And who all of you men, and he made a decree to what? 
all of his kingdoms that who gave to him? The God of heaven. He read that scroll and he believed it because every bit of it was true. But the point is, it was foretold 160 years before it ever happened. And how would you feel when you come in as a victorious king and you take over and someone opens up a word of God and says, 160 years ago I said you would be right here and that you would win the battle by diverting the river and that your mama would name you Cyrus. And you are my anointed and I am the one that, that broke down the walls and the bars. I'm the one that straightened the crooked roads and I held your hand and brought you to this place. And he believed in God and he said, the Lord God of heaven that gave me all of these kingdoms has told me, commanded me in the book of Isaiah that you guys go back and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And won't you who are hardy and can go and do that, will you not go and do that? You who can't go, will you not donate so that that can happen? So that the word of the Lord can be fulfilled to you and to this generation. And folks, the point being, the point being, is we serve a God who glorifies himself by being able to tell you the end from the beginning. And no one else, that is the God that we serve. And so as we get ready to close and the worship team comes on up, and we take this message here with us today, I want you to know that the one thing he says is don't be deceived. We're not going to follow anything but what the Word of God says. We're not going to make up anything. We're not going to believe in anything else. We are going to only go by what the Word of God is, and we're not going to let our emotions get us carried away. We're going to stand firm. He says, do not fear. I am your Redeemer and your Protector. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be with you. Was the redeemed of God allowed to suffer through the flood? I hope, if it doesn't change, to be able to share with you next week that Thessalonians says that we're not appointed to wrath. That those that are in Christ are not appointed to wrath. That's why you want to be in Christ. And that's why he can say to us, don't fear. Don't fear because I'm your redeemer. Follow me, be close beside me. And when that time comes, one will be taken and the other's left. But you were close beside me, so you're gone. That should give you peace and comfort in these times of trouble. And when people are spouting off and worried about this and that and what's going to happen, if you're in Christ, we ain't got to worry. So let's have no fear. And let's see what the Word of God tells us as we go forward. And our, you know what our, our marching orders are then? To get other people to follow Him so that they're close beside Him so that they go with us. If, if there's one thing that you want to do and proclaim, it's proclaim Jesus Christ and He died for you. And that is our message today. And if you're not in Christ, come on up. If you are in Christ, relax. Have faith and trust in Him because He says, I know no one else does trust in what I say. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for this encouraging word. We can, we can verify that this is true. I verified everything for your glory before it was taught. You can Google Cyrus the Great. You can Google when was the book of Isaiah written. Historians throughout the world have 
recorded these things. You can find it in Encyclopedia Britannica. You can find it in any place. They have the dated things. They have the the round cylinder of King Cyrus that tells of these things that was carved and left behind to validate things that you had a hand in all of this. And so, Father, we just humbly bow before you in worship and we proclaim such as your word does that there is no other God besides you. You are the true and living God and we are so thankful that you are our Redeemer the first and the last, and that we are with you and that we can rest upon the promise, do not fear, but do not be deceived. And we pray that we will take these with us as such a great encouragement in our life and also it glorifies you and honors you as God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.